Welcome to the AudioCast at samluce.com, episode 13, three things that need to change about how our kids worship. Most of the time when we talk about worship for kids or youth ministry, it's most often in the context of practical tips. What songs are hot right now? Most recently, can I use worship songs that are copyrighted for our online services during the COVID-19 crisis? What we fail to ask is why we worship and are we worshiping God in the way that he desires to be worshiped? The question of how we worship is not new. For centuries, the church has referred to this question as the regulative principle. It's simply the assertion that we must worship God in the way that he has revealed himself, in the way that he has commanded us to worship him in his word. We need to love God according to the scripture. Our worship needs to be directed by scripture. The form and the content of our worship needs to be in accordance with the Bible, informed by the Bible, warranted by the Bible. It needs to be founded in the scriptures. That is the emphasis that is so important today. It seems that today the questions that we ask in the area of worship are more often around production value than around biblical basis for the songs that we sing. We need to think deeper about the songs and how they are forming our kids. We need to think about how our songs are painting a picture of who God is and what he has done. Yancey Richmond recently released a new album aimed at preschoolers and early elementary. It's called Ready, Set, Go, and it's fantastic. I mean, so it's Little Praise Party is is the series. So it's for young kids. Um, I will say something shifted for me as a worship leader when Sparrow suddenly was like in the first grade group of some events because I realized in those broad span of ages, what I typically would have always said was like the right size song for that age. I was like, if he didn't know this song, if he had never heard it before, like with his reading level, he can't read the words on the screen. Like, so there, I, I will say that season of life shifted for me of what felt like the right bite size piece, even for those first graders and second graders, um, younger kids in your ministry. So with little praise party, I, I think those songs really are, appropriate for that age um just because it's a smaller bite uh simpler lyrics more repetitive and so i say it's for young children so whether that's preschool or early elementary it works but um as far as on a church resource side of things there's a whole lot more that i'm offering up than ever before obviously it's the songs and it's the videos but um I've got worship leader training tips and I even give a little tip of how to lead each one of the songs um, as well as providing motion tutorials. But um, I think the, the tips of how to lead those songs is going to be really great information for leaders that they can also kind of take and analyze and apply to other songs and stuff that they do in their ministry. So I think that's going to be huge and awesome. That's a great idea. Um, and then there's coloring pages that go along with each song as well. So just some extra things to make it benefit the church. Nancy's passion for the local church and for worship is so evident in everything that she does. I love how her focus is always on faithful over famous. I sat down with Yancey to talk about three things in kids ministry worship that need to change. Engagement, not just aerobics. The first thing that needs to change is that we have to engage kids and not just lead them in aerobics. It seems like in the last six or seven years that actions in kids' ministry worship has gone from something peripheral and helpful to being almost the totality of the worship experience. We seem to no longer judge our worship by transformed hearts, but by how many people are moving at the same time. 
We're all guilty of this because it's so much easier to measure how many kids are jumping. It's much more difficult to measure how hearts are being transformed. I think it gives Kidman leaders a false sense of participation to be able to step inside the room, see it bouncing up and down, twirling to the side three times and going, yeah, we're winning at worship. You know, like mm-hmm. this is going well because right. a good chunk of people are doing it. Now, granted, the same people also have their complaints of they can't get old kid, older kids to be engaged and, you know, want to participate. And so many times people don't figure out that, hey, these things <laughs> equal this thing over here. <laughs> you haven't connected these dots. But it looks good to their eyes, so they're convinced that this is working. But um, I, I, think, I think motions have a time and a place in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's moments that they work and they can enhance the song. The problem is somewhere along the way, we started trying to shove motions into the song from start to finish of every single song we do instead of when it actually makes sense and when it really enhances that song and serves mm-hmm. a purpose. And so, you know, I think, I think that's where, you know, as my dad would say, you can, you can err too far on the ditch, you know, of either thing. Um, and I, I just think that's why it starts disconnecting is just because people are so focused on this thing over here. I remember attending a church, um, uh, about it, I guess about two years ago and was watching what they did on a Sunday and kind of consulting with them a little bit about it. And I like, I totally wrote down on my notepad. I was like, are you trying to raise up dancers or singers? Because mm-hmm. everyone in the room that was attempting to participate was just attempting to do the motions. Mm-hmm. And even the people on stage <laughs> leading you know, all the time, even the kids helping lead the worship time, they weren't singing the songs. And so from that perspective, all of those emotions aren't actually helping you do the thing that you're trying to do. Right. Everyone's so focused on that. And so I think, I think leaders, cause I've talked to leaders before that are like, Oh, well, if there's not emotions to the song, we can't do it. Yeah. Which is like hogwash. You have a great song. It doesn't matter if it has motions or not. It doesn't matter if you have to create the motions yourself or if you don't do motions on that song. Like that has no valid reason for why you should do a song or not shouldn't do a song is based on to have motions or not. But so I think it's really comes down to you defining like, what's your goal for worship? What's your purpose for worship and what you're trying to help kids experience um, about who God is and about the presence of God. And then realize that every single one of your songs are an ingredient. And so this song plus this song is going to help get you over here. You know, this song plus this song might help your kids take this step. And so through the choices that you're making, how you're strategically planning your songs and what those songs um, invite kids to do or participate with, that's going to be the type of worship experience that you're creating is just Mm -hmm. from, from those. So I think it's really important to be strategic yeah. Of what you're trying to accomplish. And then what do you need to help you accomplish that? Right. Um, 
so often I think children's ministry people worship the motions that they're trying to do. They're more consumed with worshiping the motions than they really are with, hey, let's create a fantastic time of worship to help our kids show their love to God and experience his goodness and his love and like through this two-way street that is the worship experience because yes it's you singing to God but I guarantee when you engage in that and you participate in it you're going to receive something back spiritually from the Lord and so uh so often that's not the focus and I think Mm -hmm. another layer to it that is really important is just to ask yourself like what do you need to help prepare kids for next you know like what what does student ministry look like in your church you know in preschool what does your elementary ministry look like you know what whatever place they are at in the spectrum of ministry in your church um, if you're only doing what you might deem as age appropriate for them at that level and you're not prepping them for the kinds of worship experiences they're going to have in the next class say what you want, but I think that creates a lot of awkward moments when a kid leaves children's ministry and shows up to student ministry the first day. They might be singing the exact same song, but they participate and engage with it a completely different way. And if those kids in your, from your children's ministry have only ever done motions start to finish of every song and they're not doing that in student ministry, they probably just got super duper embarrassed on their first day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We rightly want our kids to engage, but what I found is that when kids do dance moves, they don't sing. When kids don't sing, they don't memorize the words of the song that when well-written will be truths from God's word that will be forever lodged in our kids' hearts. It seems that we've lost the art of teaching our kids to sing a heart song in exchange for TikTok. Lyrics matter more than music. We like songs because of how they sound. We remember what we sing longer than we remember the messages or the lessons that were taught. I've taught hundreds of messages to kids and adults over the years, and I've listened to thousands of messages preached in my lifetime. How many do I remember? Maybe one or two. But I can remember most songs that we sang in church when I was in elementary school. Music has a power that spoken words don't have. Uh, I mean, lyrics are important. I'm someone that when I listen to a song, like I'm, I'm listening to the lyrics, you know, like first mm-hmm. and foremost, my husband is the total opposite. And there's times he's listening to yeah. a song I'm like, do you even know what that's saying? <laughs> and he's like, no, like I've never, never paid attention, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lyric person for sure. So those jump out to me. Um, I can say for sure, like there have been times in my life that I needed the vocabulary that was in certain songs to help me get through whatever it was that I was going through. You know, like when you're in some of those hard seasons and some of those broken places where let's be real, like you, you have the best of intentions, but you're kind of like, I don't don't even know what to do next, or I don't know how to fix this. Mm -hmm. Um, there, there's been so many times where it's like I needed the words that were in certain songs to help me articulate my faith and my mm-hmm. trust in God. Totally. And those songs, you know, truly like helped, helped me, you know, they, they gave me the words to pray and cry out to God. Um, 
to build my faith and just like you said, remind me what's true about God. I think, I think I'll, I'll share this because I think it's practical. Most people are familiar with it and you can, you can quickly stop and ponder for a minute or pull up a couple of songs and see what I'm talking about. But if you think back to the greatest hits of Chris Tomlin, okay, so he's our modern, you know, psalmist that we've yeah. had in, in modern worship culture. But if you think back to how great is our God, um, who shall I fear, like many times over some of the hits of Chris Tomlin that he's written, they are songs that are all about the greatness of our God. Mm-hmm. And I believe, I believe he writes in a very easy way. It's not super complicated. I think that's a big part of why people were drawn to his songs. But I think the other factor of why people were drawn to his songs and they were the gigantic hits of church worship culture that they were, is they were songs about the greatness of our God. And they helped right. give us this giant corporate song um, to sing. And I think when you AB those songs against even some other great worship songs that have been in culture, you, you see the lyrical difference. Mm-hmm. And this is just, you know, this is just my own personal opinion, but it's like you, you mix the ease of how Chris Tomlin sings a song and writes it with those simple yet theo- theologically rich things and it just was the winning combination you know to connect and so i think those are great examples of songs that are very rich in what they say Mm -hmm. and they help us express our um our appreciation and just give the honor that he deserves for how great Mm -hmm. he is so yeah yeah for sure for sure. I think it's, I think it's so important, you know, for, um, and it's for kids. Uh, so for me, like for, you know, like one of the things that that's important for me is that you do give kids that vocabulary. Like, yeah, I think sometimes we so simplify things that, that, and this is what I say oftentimes in breakouts in different sessions in different articles, right. Is that we, in our right desire to make the, the Bible understandable, we simplify the truth of God's word to the point, though, that it's we give them a faith that they can grow out of, not a faith that they can grow into. Yeah. And so I think that there's something about painting a picture for God that, they, that kids understand, but that they don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. That they'll grow to, to, to understand and love and learn and need to know, like you're saying, that vocabulary. Yeah, uh, we need to give the kids that vocabulary. So when life gets difficult, so for most kids, they're not aware of the difficulties of life. Some kids tragically are. Yeah. Um, some kids are not, and they will one day be aware of the difficulties of life, and they need they need the vocabulary. I think that the great hymns and great songs of our faith give them. Right. And we do an injustice to them to entertain them for fifteen minutes. Rather than ground them, because what what you remember, what, like what do you remember more, Nancy? Like growing up, like do you remember? Get, name me five sermons your pastor preached, and yeah. then name and I then name me ten that. songs. I can yeah, I can tell you songs, and I can tell you people. Right, I mean, and that, that's what I'm saying. Is you, yeah, that's what, and and this is the thing. I I, I tell oh, yeah. kids, pastors, and and senior pastors, even like they're not going to remember your messages, but your messages are forming their heart for sure. Yeah. But you know what they're going to remember 
is they're going to remember the exact words of songs that they sang when they were six. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? And so you have a massive responsibility as the shepherd of your kids' souls. To say, what, what songs are you allowing them to sing? Right. Mm-hmm. What songs are what what how are how are what kind of what are those how are those songs painting a picture of God? Yeah. Uh, are they God centered or are they man centered? Like that's okay. a good question to ask yourself, and I think it's important. You yeah. Know. Um. Totally. Like as I, I mean, still to this day, like through any conversation, through a message that I hear, um, anything that mentions this a topic that was in one of those songs. Like I remember my mom had all these Hosanna integrity cassettes, you know, yeah, my dad had the same. <laughs> and even, you know, me playing my piano, like in middle school, like I had every one of those song books and, you know, is it yeah. racking out to worship you almighty God. And, you know, yeah. as yeah, David, so everything else, but yeah. I mean, you know, like someone can say something that was in a, one of those songs that I haven't listened to the recording of those songs and, easily more than 25 years yeah i can start singing you know yeah these and and every one of them are scriptural passages that were in are in the bible you can come Mm -hmm. across it you can find the verse that inspired that thought and that expression and i remember those songs and they stick with you and so that's what encourages me to know that what i do has value and matters is I know that it may be 30 years from now, mm-hmm. but these songs that I'm writing, they're going to help someone get through whatever it is that they're going through because God's word that's in these songs will come back and be reminded to them. Yeah. Um, music is just that powerful. Um, I can say for me as a songwriter r- related to kids music and what I do with that, um, for, for any of my own stuff, maybe not necessarily if I'm writing for another curriculum publisher where they're saying, I need a song about X. But uh, for me, it just starts with, okay, what are the messages that I know children's leaders are going to be talking about and teaching their kids, you know? Right. And or what are the things that I want to talk about and share in a live event and I want to teach them about. And so I really start there with it's like, what's the, what's the message that I want to get into their heart? Mm-hmm. And I start with that concept. And then I figure out a way to do that musically, you know, and have mm-hmm. to, come up with something that's a hook, you know, to yeah, make yeah. it work in, in song world. Um, but it starts, it, it definitely is starting with the end of mind of what, what is the thing that I want to teach them and what's, what's the, the truth from God's word that I want to get planted on the inside of them. And it's right, just right. The, the song itself is just the conduit to make that happen. What I remind our kids during the time of song singing is two things. One, Worship is us proclaiming back to God who he is. Two, worship reminds us who God is. If a song doesn't proclaim who God is, if it doesn't remind us what he's like, we should play it at home or on the radio. But we shouldn't sing those songs in church. We shouldn't sing songs that sound good, but the words fail to point us to Christ, to reveal who Christ is to us. We have a massive responsibility as pastors. What songs are shaping the hearts of our people? Your messages, to be sure, will shape them but they will forget most of what you say. The songs you sing in church, they will sing those songs in their deathbed, word for word. More scripture, less pop. Growing up in the 80s, there were lots of Christian bands. 
I remember listening to a tape of Petra till the tape fell apart. There was no worship bands. Hosanna worship music, perhaps, but they were not famous, and their focus was completely on Sunday mornings. You would never hear their stuff on the radio. It seems in the past several years, contemporary Christian music and worship music have collided. All the songs on the radio are now performed by church bands, which is good in some ways, but I think it's also not so good in others. When I sit down to read my Bible, I'm amazed how many songs will come back to me as I read through the scriptures. I'm getting concerned that this isn't going to happen with our kids. The songs we sing in church sound way better than they did in the 70s and the 80s, but they sound less like the Bible. This has to change. So, um, okay, if you just pull up the Garmin and Key Greatest Hits. That's yeah. a textbook lesson in and of itself. There is so much Bible that is in those songs. And I remember actually saw Eddie DeGarma post just the other day that it's been 10 years since Dana Key passed away, which is crazy that it's been 10 years. But I remember reading um, multiple blog posts that various friends of mine wrote after Dana Key passed away. And I thought it was so interesting that these people were not connected in any way, but they basically were telling the same story that DeGarmo and Key, um, which was a very evangelical, they preached, they did altar calls, like that was a huge focus of their music was to present the gospel in that way. But these friends were writing these posts saying that DeGarmo and Key's music had shaped their theology. Mm -hmm. And... um, I remember reading that and just realizing, like, what a responsibility. You know, like, I don't think most most musicians and most songwriters are not thinking about it from that perspective of the responsibility that you have in, in these songs that you're writing and creating and performing and whatnot and what that does to someone else's spirit. Mm-hmm. Um. But I just thought that was like so interesting and cool that multiple people were saying that. And it just made me respect them even more. And side note, Eddie Garmo's book is incredible and you would totally enjoy it. It's a <laughs> awesome, it's an awesome biography. And he is a super wise person mm-hmm. um, that's been successful multiple careers over. So I'm just saying like, that music you can go and you can listen to it and it's so straightforward and it's so specific and those Mm -hmm. songs are filled with God's word. And so, you know, there's no, there's no doubt that they got inside of people and it's something that sticks with them. I just don't know that all the time people are writing songs with that intentionality. With the rise of modern worship and the mixing of contemporary Christian music, there are some songs that we should rightly be listening to in our cars, but because they're written by worship bands, we sing them in church. Both are essential. Songs that encourage and express in poetic form what we think about God are good and necessary. I'm just not sure that we should sing them as the church gathered. Our kids need to be challenged to engage in worship. As pastors, we must not simply tell kids what to do. We must bring them to a place we've already been. We need to be gatekeepers of the words our kids repeat to music. Lastly, we need to look for songs that have more Bible in them so our kids will hide God's word in their hearts and they'll be transformed because of it. Pastor, I beg you, hang up TikTok and teach your kids to sing heart songs to Jesus. 